0: You ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. risen. risen Let us pray together. O Lord, be our shepherd. May we need nothing because we have all of you. You make us lie down in green pastures, and you lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls, restore my soul, O Lord. You lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, let us not fear evil, because you are for us, and with us, and before us, and around us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Prepare a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies, Lord, the ones we are told to love. May we invite them to that table. Anoint us with your oil, your oil of gladness, your oil of forgiveness, your oil of mercy. Lord, our cups are overflowing with your love. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Whenever we have a baptism, I frankly feel like a sermon is unnecessary because we've already seen our sermon. Um, We've seen new life. We've seen a commitment to the ways of Jesus, a lifetime commitment that is much like marriage where you say, this is something I'm going to do and be the rest of my life. We've seen public confession of our faith and hope in the life that Christ offers. And so frankly, what more needs to be said that hasn't already been shown to us in their baptisms? In fact, as you go out today, as much as I have prepared a sermon for you, I hope you take that image with you. I hope you remember your baptisms. You remember that day where you gave yourself fully to Christ. One of the things I told the girls was that it was really important that I get them completely wet, right, all the way under. And we did. Uh, and why? Because God wants every last bit of you, from the top of your head to the ends of your toes. He wants it all. However, I have to give a sermon, so uh, I'm going to try to make it quick. I know I shouldn't actually say that. Uh, I'm going to take that part back, the quick part. I'm going to give you a sermon. Uh, I do uh, understand uh, what time it is, and uh, this service will probably go a little longer than normal, but you know what? It's Easter, folks. You came for the show, so (laughs) Uh, I want to tell you three things. I want to start a series on hope. Uh, I think we need hope in these times that we live in. And I think Easter is the right time to talk about hope. Uh, We live in uh, (laughs) what can be rightly called an age of anxiety. Uh, Officially, I think that the coin was termed back in the 40s, post-World War II, when everyone wondered what was gonna happen with all those nuclear uh, bombs that were created, right? And and there was an age of anxiety is what they called it. But frankly, we live in one of our own now and levels of anxiety have only crept up in the last decade or decade and a half. And I think under those circumstances, we could all use a big dose of hope. And I'm 100% certain that this is exactly what our gospel offers us. So I have three points uh, and they go like this. Number one, I simply wanna say, and I want you to know That on this Easter, the Christian hope that we are offered is not just that we simply go to heaven when we die. The Christian hope is full redemption of us and the world. The Christian story is such that it recognizes that this world is not as it should be. It doesn't take much to figure that out. Every world religion has figured that much out. Frankly, every person who has ever lived long enough has figured that out. This world is not as it should be. And the Christian answer to that is not burn it down and let's fly off somewhere. The Christian answer to that is God wants to redeem it all because God created this place. If we understand... Rightly, what God is doing with our world and with us, full redemption, then I think it offers a kind of hope that uh, we understand where this story that we are living through is heading. It offers us a future that we can envision. By way of illustration, I took this one from Tim Keller, uh, whose book on hope I'm reading. Uh, And so you may actually in the coming weeks hear hear a little more about Tim Keller. Um, He's got a book on hope and I quite like it and uh, I like his style. Um, So here it goes. His illustration is this. There were two men, both were put into the exact same scenario in life they were uh, uh, given a year. And during that year, they really weren't allowed to sleep much. They were not given much food to eat. They had to work around the clock. They were separated from family and friends, and they were isolated. And it it was near torture, right, for a year. But at the end of this year, one man knew that he was going to receive $10 million a year for the rest of his life. And the other man was made no promises at all, right? Now, you tell me which of those men will make it through the year and get to the end, right? I think we understand what that is. And so Keller's point is that we have been offered this hope that gets us to the end of our story. And we recognize there is something that is waiting for us at the end of it all. But good grief, I actually hope there's quite a lot more than that. It's not just a hope that's in the future. It's actually a hope that has been brought into the present. It is something that can sustain us. It is something that can make us uh, take heart when our courage is failing. It is a hope that God is redeeming the world, not just in some far-flung future, but in the here and the now. He is redeeming us, and he is redeeming this world, and he often likes to use us. The second point I would want to make is that hope, in its New Testament context, frankly its ancient context, is actually a little different than we often think of hope. Hope is maybe not the best translation, or at least the English word has been watered down. Because when we use the word hope, we say things like, I hope my, f- my football team wins this weekend. I know football's out of season. I hope my baseball team wins this weekend. Right? Or uh, I-, I hope we get to go to Disney World in the next few years, but we might not, right? But hope, this is not the kind of hope that we find in scripture. It's actually not the way the, the, the word gets used uh, in uh, ancient Greek or, or the ancient context at all. And so by way of analogy, I want to point us out of the New Testament for a second, and if you'll journey with me to Pandora. <laughs> Pandora's box, do we know this story? Pandora's box is uh, a myth uh, that the uh, ancient Greek Hesiod talks about. And he tells the story uh, where uh, Zeus is mad at Pandora and, uh, uh, and so he gives her this box or a jar and he fills it with all kinds of evils. And Pandora shouldn't open this jar, but she does, right? And what flies out of it? Every manner of evil that exists in this world. Pandora is in some ways uh, likened to the first couple, Adam and Eve, She is the first woman, and and there's all these evils that spring out into the world at this point, again, according to this Greek myth. But there's one thing that doesn't fly out of the jar, if you remember right, and the Greek word there is is elpis. It's hope. At least that's how we translate it from our New Testament. But that may not be the best way to translate that story and to understand that story, because at least in a Greek context hope isn't hope as we think of it. Hope is expectation and certainty about the future, whether good or bad. And so the one thing that can't make it out of the jar is now knowing what's to come. Because evil has made its way into the world, the one thing that doesn't make its way into the world anymore is knowledge of what's gonna happen. We can't trust that the world's going to go really bad or, or, frankly, really well. We just don't know. This is Hesiod's point, anyway, I think. It's up for debate, actually. How does this connect with Christianity? Well, see, we have a different kind of hope or a different kind of explanation. Jesus' death and resurrection offers a very different view of the world than, than Hesiod offers. It is a view in which the future has actually come flying forward into the present. It is a view in which the future is here now because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The end of the story has actually been told. It has been written, and it goes like this. Death is defeated. Mortality is And the effects of sin, sadness, anger, wrath, hurt, pain, destruction, shattered lives, all of it has been overcome. Resurrection is the great undoing of the curse of Adam and Eve. And much like Pandora's box, which sends all manner of evil out into the world, Adam and Eve's sin unleashes a torrent of evil into the world. But Hesiod and the story of Pandora... Doesn't have a response to that evil. There is no hope in Hesiod's telling. Hope and the certainty of future are boxed back up and put on the shelf. Genesis is different. In the Garden of Eden, there is a gospel expectation if you're looking for it. There is hope. The fancy theology term there is a proto-evangelium, a proto-gospel. The story as told there is that though Adam and Eve have been snake-bitten and will affect all of their descendants, every last human to enter this world, you and me included, there is still hope because one day, it says, a descendant of Eve will arise and though that snake will strike his heel, that son of man will crush his head. Do I need to say it? Do you know who this son of man is? Do you know when he himself is bitten by the snake? And more importantly, do you know when the head of the serpent is crushed? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen he is risen. risen And because of that, there is a real sense in which hope, as understood in its biblical sense, is not just a wish. It is not a desire. It's not a simple longing. It is a certainty. It is an expectation of what is to come. N.T. Wright says it this way, Easter was when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. And so let us not hope for fleeting things. Our hope, our expectation, is set on things above. That which is in the hands of God, that which is of ultimate meaning and purpose. We hope for things like redemption, for reconciliation with God, We hope for a future restoration, for all hurt and pain to be bound up and healed. When we call God the great physician, he doesn't just heal bodies, he heals minds and hearts and spirits. He heals wounds past. He heals holistically. Do you believe that? Belief, as you'll see in the coming weeks, and what I want to make as my third point I think is intimately connected with our hope. Third point, hope is deeply connected to our faith, to our trust, to our belief. It's worth asking, who do you trust? What do you trust? What is driving your worldview? In what story do you find yourself in? because that, friends, is your faith. That is what you believe. The story that you are living out, that is what you believe in. Rarely is our faith simply, quote, in God, though that's a great starting point. It is in the larger story that surrounds what we believe about God. And Easter, this morning, is the pinnacle of this story. And this story says that sin And death, and Satan, and the powers of the world, they've had a good go of it, but they've run their course. There is a new king in town, and there is a new kingdom, and we are invited into it. The poorest to the richest, the smallest to the tallest, the youngest to the oldest, the sinners and the saints alike. All you have to do is believe. He asks for our trust. We must bow the knee to the true king, the one who sacrificed his very life for you. And so if this is your story, if this is your worldview, if this is what you believe, then you should have all the hope you need. And when the world looks like it is falling apart, Christianity is playing the long game. And when the world looks like it's giving up on faith, Christianity is playing the long game of history. And the story is simply not over yet. And we know how it ends. What we need is faith. Hebrews 11 has a famous definition of faith. And what's often missed in it is there's a connection between your faith and your hoping. The first half of Hebrews 11.1 goes like this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And so the question's worth asking, does hope feed the faith, or does faith feed the hope? And which way does that traffic flow? And I would suggest to you, it actually flows both ways. Like two objects that are connected by a string, so that when you alter one of them, the other inevitably goes up or down. And so if you raise your levels of faith, you're going to inevitably raise your hope. And if you lower your levels of faith, eventually your hope will flag too. But if you raise your levels of hope, there's likelihood that your faith will be buoyed and vice versa. One of my personal heroes, and somebody I like to read a lot, and I look to for wisdom, is Eugene Peterson. And this is what he says about hope. Hoping does not mean doing nothing. It is not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations, of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming, he goes on. It's not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is as he says, imagination put into the harness of faith is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. Hope is imagination put into the harness of faith. It's a nice metaphor. (laughs) Imagine that horse harnessed with faith. And we sit on top of the imagination, the possibility of what if that faith that we confess, this faith that you are here for this morning, on Easter morning, if it is true, as we believe it's true, not in some metaphorical sense, but in a true historical sense that 2,000 years ago, Christ died on a cross, and three days later, he was really raised from the dead if we truly believe that in our heart of hearts, that, friends, should give us all the hope that we need to make it through this life and beyond. Let us hope in that. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a beautiful gift you have given us this morning. The gift of the Son. A son who died for our sin, and Father, a son that you raised from the dead that we might have a life eternal. In doing so, you have defeated sin, you have defeated death, and all of their friends of chaos. And Lord, you are rightly reordering this world, and you have drawn us into it. Lord, that is a hopeful message. May this morning and this week, And this year that sits before us be a year that is filled with a hope that comes directly from you. A hope that we know how this story ends and that the end of it all is really just the beginning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.